Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Coming up in this edition of TV Black Box, what really happened behind the scenes of the cyber attack on Channel 9, which saw live programs unable to broadcast. The Logies are back, but of course, there's already controversy. And from home and away to Hollywood, Dan Ewing joins us for an exclusive chat. Welcome to the podcast where people in the TV industry get their news. TV Black Box is about to start. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. Hello there and welcome to TV Black Box. In the house we have Sarah Monaghan, the actress extraordinaire. Hello, Sarah. Hello. If I start yelling, it's because my puppy is climbing on furniture. I know, just as the opener was rolling, I heard you yelling at your puppy and I was just like, oh God, this is what happens. This is what happens when you get animals. My husband refused to take him because apparently he loses his fucking mind when he's separated from me. (laughs) Aaron Ryan from TV Black Box is here. Hello, Aaron. Hello, gorgeous people. And we've got Rod Morris from basically just about everything. He works on a variety of TV programs around the country. Hello, Rod. Hello, Rob. Hello, everybody. Nice to be back with you all. Look, it's great to have you here and there is a lot to talk about. So let's get into it because it's been a big week for Channel 9 with a cyber attack forcing programs off air and leaving producers scrambling to find alternative ways to broadcast. The network has confirmed TV Black Box's exclusive story that the network was attacked by hackers believed to be from Russia. The attack has been network-wide, but Melbourne has been able to use its control room as it's the only city not to have completely rebuilt for automation. All of Nine's other control rooms use computers for commands to roll stories and add supers, amongst other things. Security experts have told the network Russia could be behind the attack in an attempt to stop undercover investigation going to air, which focused on allegations around Vladimir Putin. The episode aired as normal as Nine's presentation is run by an external company. Rod, I've got to say hats off to everyone at Nine for being able to work around these issues and still deliver their news services. Whiteboards are back in a big way. <laughs> well, I think it was a hell of a first day at New School for uh, Mike Sneesby, that's for sure. It's like, yeah. welcome, to, <laughs> welcome to the network. But um, Yeah, it's uh, an interesting thing that happened there. Um, I initially didn't believe it when I saw, got up in the morning, Ellen was on. Uh, okay, I'll roll back over and turn back on. There's a shark documentary or something. Huh? And it took me a while. And when I first started hearing the stories, I thought, really? Is that what it is? But yeah, it does seem that's what it is. Um, and I would say if, if Mr. Putin's uh, upset by what Nine was going to be putting to air about him, I highly recommend you all watch a documentary called Thieves by Law. And it's about uh, how the when the Soviet Union got broken up, how basically 
the bad guys all killed each other off. So who owns the pipelines these days? Whoever killed off all his competition and who who owns all the big banks? Well, they basically knocked each other off and it sort of implicates uh, Putin as basically the biggest thieves by law of the lot of them. And now I, I don't want him and his hackers to come and bring down TV Black Box, of course, but yeah, highly recommend it. The, the other thing with it that sort of bugs me is a lot of what I do in TV because of COVID and lockdown, I've been trying to get the networks to open up their, uh, their firewalls and ports so that I can do a lot of the stuff I do remotely. Um, but they're obviously very stringent. Like, oh, no, we, we, we can't do that because it's a security risk. This is just confirmed. Yes, it is a security risk. So, damn, it's going to make my yeah. life a little bit harder. That's not going to happen. And, Rod, if you wake up and something strange is happening on TV... Go to tvblackbox.com.au. We had the story. We had the information. We were the first out there reporting on it. I had the exclusive about the Russian hack. You know, our story even made the Russian press. Really? So, you know, that's <laughs> how it goes. Well done. Aaron, I've got to say, it's been an extraordinary week for Nine. What they did on Sunday to get bulletins to wear was simply amazing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what what a morning they had. Um, yeah, to poor Mike Sneesby on his first day. I just find it so concerning that a network's entire live broadcasting capacity can be held to ransom. You just don't think, it, you know, we hear about hackers and that sort of thing, but you don't think it would bring down an entire network um, in terms of live broadcasting. Um, nine, not even being able to send out the, you know, the guides, you know, they're just word documents that's down the, the press sites, um, that they have for, for media is down. Um, so it's, it's really concerning, but what I must say is I, th I think the Russian spies have hit Oztam too. I actually had a look at the 15 minute breakdowns for weekend today on the weekend. And as, uh, Rod said, you know, they had Alan on and uh, Taronga who's who in the zoo. And of course, uh, weekend Sunrise picked up and, and Weekend Today dropped, but it didn't actually drop down to like zeros or anything. There actually was still a considerable audience watching Nine, which is kind of, I, I think it's kind of weird because if you were up in the morning, you know, wanting to watch Current Affairs and you've chosen Nine and it's not on, you would think you would flick to the ABC or, or Seven, but... I mean, I don't think I'll bore everyone with the 15-minute breakdowns, but it wasn't nobody watching Nine, that's for sure. Yeah, but the thing with that is that people like a stuff-up. If they started getting aware that there was a cyber hack on Channel 9, they might have been watching to see what's happening. Um, we saw with Blue Healers when it was on 7 back in the day and they had 40 minutes of black, people tuned in to see what was happening. It, the black rated about 800,000 for me. <laughs> yeah, over three you know? hours, though. I mean, it started dropping low in Sydney, like 8, 11, 11. I mean, that's quite low, which is 11,000. But then it started picking up 14,000, 20,000, 33,000. You want to sit there and watch Taronga Who's Who in the Zoo just to, just to wait until there's a, a break-in to find out if Weekend Today's coming back, really. Does, does that show that uh, some people are loyal to networks and they're just creatures yeah. of habit? They'll leave on nine regardless of what's on, whether it's test pattern or black. Did you say that the, the black showed 800,000? Because that's more yeah. than most TV shows that are <laughs> oh, actually this running. Back, this was back in the day when nothing got under a million. So here's the thing, though, right? Like, everybody wants to go, like, super, like, technology and everything but my husband works in cybersecurity, and the problem with everybody getting so technical and so carried away and firing all their staff because oh now everything's automated is shit like this happens and it's not yeah. until shit like this happens that people go oh we don't have any like 
you know, anything stopping people from hacking in. So maybe now all of the networks will go ahead and like maybe get some firewalls, you know, and some things. Which, to- which they do. And, and this is why Russia is a key suspect here. This was a very sophisticated hack. This wasn't some kid in his bedroom playing war games. This was a concerted, specific, sophisticated attack. And this is why all signs are pointing to Russia. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And at the moment, the Today Show has its presenters in Sydney and it's uh, being switched out of Melbourne. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're getting around it. They've been very smart. They're getting around it. Well, look, we've hit the end of Q1 and the Nine Network is by far and away the ratings winner, snaring a 30.1% network share ahead of seven with 259 for total people. The ABC continues its strong performance in third spot with an 18.3% share. That's ahead of 10 with 17.5 and SBS with 8.2. The news gets even better for Nine in the demos with a 337 share in people 25 to 54 and a 34.9% share in 16 to 39s. The results are the second highest the network has ever enjoyed in Q1 since Oztam began 20 years ago. Aaron, phenomenal start for Channel 9 to the rating G. Yeah, we've mentioned this before, but yes, it's been a one-horse race in terms of ratings in quarter one and nine were dominant in that quarter one and they've wrapped up the quarter with a great win and a great lead. The de- delayed Australian Open was always going to push out math for longer, which might cause a you know a delay in programming like Big Brother and MasterChef. But the difference between seven and ten is seven did something about it. Basically, the second the Australian Open was delayed, seven jumped in and commissioned Dancing with the Stars as counter programming for the final weeks of maths. Ten clearly sat on their hands and did nothing. And now we'll be providing viewers with nothing short of a test pattern for a couple of weeks. Uh, Their ratings are going to reflect the show that is returning on Saturdays, which is The Doghouse. It's uh, dancing, obviously, skews older, but at least seven have something that they can uh, produce some bulk bulk numbers against maths and certainly better than anything else else that's been going on against maths lately. Um, Seven, obviously, would not be wise launching Big Brother uh, whilst Maths is on the air. Um, So they've got that counter-programming. But um, it's all been 999. Look, it's interesting, isn't it? The one thing I think is interesting is that Seven have tried different programming to last year with Holy Moly and Ultimate Tag. They haven't worked. Um, It's interesting from the point of view that Seven have stumbled... But that hasn't helped 10. The Amazing Race is essentially rated the same as it was when Holy Molly got the million viewers. But when Holy Molly fell, that audience didn't shift to 10. So what does it say that 10 needs to do to use the opportunity and get those viewers, Aaron? Oh, gee, that's a whole podcast by itself. I mean, they obviously have some issues between 6 and, and 7.30 before these programs start. They're not starting from a good base, um, you know, when they've got 250,000 viewers watching 10 news at um, at 6 o'clock. So, I mean, they would need to have a look at that. They would need to look at their programming that's around that. They need to look at their multi-channels. I mean, they've got a whole, a whole heap of issues. I mean, MasterChef will certainly... Uh, pick them up if they've got good programming people will come we saw that with the oprah special yeah and the amazing race though remember that was roughly about double the amount of episodes as were 
from last year. So they actually really stretched this season out really long. It's I think I don't watch it, but a lot of people were sort of saying this is getting boring, and there was a lot of non-elimination legs and and all that. Yeah, sort but of it's stuff. still doing five to six hundred thousand or a bit more than that. that Ten would be happy with that, right? Well, in this climate right now, they'd be happy with it. But um, how do you reckon? How do you reckon they'd react with the six ninety one for their finale? I think they'd be happy with that. Mm-hmm. I actually think they'd look back and say, "Oh, it actually." They'd probably say it did better than we expected. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ten does have a belief that, and we've talked about this, that shows on it, the same shows on other networks would rate higher. Uh, the Amazing Race, I think, has actually held up pretty well. The only problem it faces is that, as I said at the beginning of this, it didn't take that holy moly and ultimate tag audience when those two shows faltered. But this is where 10 go wrong, though. So they, even if you say, oh, yeah, The Amazing Race did okay, 691 for the finale, well, then that's supposed to then help them launch into their next lot of programming. So what are they doing now? They're running a test pattern for two weeks. And then, and then launching MasterChef. Mm. I mean, that's not... I mean, what kind of programming is that? They're supposed to be programming for 52 weeks of the year. Well, you never know. Uh, you might remember uh, a little story when Seven ran out of programs and when Seven ran out of programs and a, a young bloke by the name of Angus Ross pulled out uh, Dogs Make Us out Laugh loud. Out Loud or Cats, whatever <laughs> it was, and it went gangbusters and took the ratings. This special that 10 have... Uh, pulled out of their bum, what the hell just happened, which is a look at the pandemic and everything like that. Maybe, just maybe, it'll connect with viewers. If that rates more than 350,000 viewers next week, I will do this podcast naked next week. Oh, God. No, thanks. Turn your camera camera off. off. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, after the controversy surrounding Ellen DeGeneres last year, including accusations of a toxic workplace, many viewers have switched off. This current season, which began in September, has had its viewership decline by 43%, dropping by 1.1 million people down to now 1.5 million viewers. And in her core demographic of adult women under 54, there's been a 38% decline. The show is currently in its 18th season and she is signed on for the 21-22 season, but has not indicated if it will be her last. Sarah, to lose close to half your viewers, it's a huge blow. Do you think we'll be seeing Ellen DeGeneres continue the show for many more seasons? I think she'll try. Um, but at 18 seasons, maybe it's just time to retire. I mean, do, do people still, I mean, people obviously don't still love Ellen, especially like she used to be the nice person and now it turns out maybe she's not the nice person. And, you know, there was Oprah and then there was Ellen and it's probably time for a new talk show person if we're still into talk shows. Well, that's the thing. She's gone against brand. And I think that's the hard thing she faces, that all these stories that came out and even her acknowledgement of some of that narrative suggests that viewers were like, well, hang on, who are you? You're this lovely person on air and are you mean behind the scenes? It is it is an issue. If you're seen as an arsehole on the air, you know, like tough, and if you then it comes out that you treat your staff tough, well, it's on brand in a way, you know, Brian Henderson was the newsreader at Channel 9 for decades and 
people would speak about him like, oh, he runs a tight ship at nine. It, people looked at that and admired it. He was the number one Sydney newsreader because he was seen as having the authority. He wouldn't take any crap. And the perception was, and we're talking about perception, was that he ran that newsroom ship shape. You know, we all know here that there are producers and executives and all those people making the decisions, but the perception from the viewer was that he was running that ship. So if it came out that Brian Henderson was an arsehole, and I'm not saying he is, I'm just saying if that came out, people would go, yeah, but he runs a tight ship. That's who he is. On brand. With Ellen, it's not... Right. Or if they're a real asshole on air and then it turns out that they're actually a really nice boss, that's even but better. That, well, it can be positive but also hurt their brand. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, that can also hurt their brand. But generally you can get away with it more if it's the other way. Oh, I know he's mean on camera, but he's really nice behind the scenes. Just yeah. on that, though, have you always, like, there's always been a part of me watching Ellen, and I don't mind watching Ellen. I, parts of the show I do hate, but, like, when she pranks a lot of her guests, to me they always seem nasty. Like, you know, she likes scaring people. Like, she'll have someone in mm. the box between, between the two chairs. I always thought that was just nasty. And, like, I, I'd always wondered if, you know, with all the shit that Ellen copped when she came back, back in 1997, I always wondered if there was a bit of a sort of revenge streak to Ellen. Didn't any of you ever feel that, that she was not really quite as nice as she presented? Well, yeah, it's interesting you say that because when you watch the show, she never actually seems to be overly enjoying it. Yeah. You know, people are there making jokes and having lighthearted conversations and she's there, right? And I'll tell you another tip. You'll notice you never get a close-up of Ellen in that show. You get a medium-wide <laughs> shot. And it's no matter what, if she's in boxes, traditionally you'd have a closer shot so that you've got yeah. that connection with the audience. No, nah, she's in the wider shots because they don't want to go too close and they've even got a bit of the Doris Day on the lens. Yeah, the so, star filter uh, too, I think, is always there. Yeah, you, you see paparazzi shots of her without makeup on and it is not the same person that you see on the TV show. Yeah, 100%. The magic of television. Well, despite the widely reported woeful ratings of its debut season, Holy Moly will be returning to Seven in 2022. Seven's Chief Revenue Officer, Kurt Burnett, stated that it did its job of year-on-year -year growth in its time slot, at a minimum, and that the sponsors and partners are on board. However, it is expected to return in a scaled-back format of one episode per week. Um... Aaron, we said from the get-go this should be one episode per week. They went too hard, too much, trying to, I think, basically trying to recoup the money and, um, you know, make it look good on a spreadsheet. But it looks, it sounds like they're going to do the right format this time. But is it too late? Well, it definitely should have been one episode. But, uh, Rob, I've got some breaking news myself. Holy moly has not been renewed. Um, if you read the article in the AFR, the newspaper, um, they have made that claim, but the quotes from Kurt at Seven do not actually confirm anything. He's only talking about the ratings performance. I do have sources at Seven, and I can definitely confirm that the show has not been renewed. Um, it's a possibility contender at the moment. Um, Seven liked the show and would like the opportunity to do it again, refine it and allow it to be once per week. The pluses were that it did do better than My Kitchen Rules um, last year mm. um, and it did do well in the demos, but there are two massive concerns. Number one, and you pointed uh, this out, it is very, 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 very expensive. 
Um, and number two, a concern is is that uh, would people come back on the numbers that finished on? So it's way up in the air and probably it would appear more on the side that it's not going to be renewed. So the AFR, I, th- I think, have jumped on that a little you bit. You think too, they've overreached? Uh, definitely overreached on that story. Um, and none of Kurt's comments uh, point to the fact that it's been renewed. It's interesting, uh, Rod, that there is this chat about it coming back. Uh, good sources from Aaron there. Here's my tip for that one. It's a standby. So they now have to look at what's around and they will say, okay, do we have something that's better that we know can achieve more audience? Or if we bring back this or take that, would we be better having Holy Moly where we've already got the set in place so it becomes cheaper in its second year? I reckon this is one of those ones that's really on the standby list as a backup. Yeah, my reaction when I heard they were bringing it back, I thought, well, they must have done a multi-year deal. Even though when those yeah. deals are done, the network's always got an out clause somewhere. Because, mm. you know, I've worked on shows that, you know, basically unless there's at least three series of it made, the production company and a lot of suppliers aren't going to make them, their money back. Um, but, yeah, that's what I figured it must have been, uh, a multi uh, a multi-series deal to amortise the cost of that set because I'd hate to think like the talent bill alone, but then the set on top of that. So yeah, you're probably right. Actually, They've, it'll be multi-year deal, but with a get-out clause if they don't want it. Well, it'll be fascinating to see what they say at their upfronts later in the year, and we look forward to that. And look, it's Australian TV's Night of Nights, but with the Logies returning at an unusual time of year, will it be the A-lister event we all expect? It has been announced that the ceremony will take place on Sunday, November 28th on the Gold Coast. That's the first day of traditional non-ratings. It's also a time of year when many shows like Big Brother and I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here are in pre-production and the talent are in lockdown. Shows like Home and Away will have wrapped for the year and hosts of the breakfast shows are likely to be on holidays after the ratings period has concluded. Networks are being offered $1,000 per talent they can bring up to a cap of $75,000 and the Queensland government is said to be matching this also. Sarah, we haven't had the Logies for two and a half years by this point. Um... Do you think the network? Do you think the talent want to get back out there and get their free booze and their free catch up? Fuck yes, do they think- do. No, yes, they but- absolutely want to get together. <laughs> Everybody wants a good piss up and a nice excuse to get dressed up, have a night away. Totally. Um, it'll be interesting though because they'll only be able to have Australians because even if they could manage to fly, you know, how we always have to have the superfluous mm. Americans. Um, it'll be Thanksgiving in the US, so they won't get anyone at that time of year because Thanksgiving's on November 25th. Um, so mm. that'll be fun. Um, so maybe they'll have to have an all-Australian thing. Although if they do want to fly someone in and they need a superfluous dual passport holding ex-child star <laughs> i would be quite happy to present something somewhere um but no i think i think everybody wants to get together everyone i mean everyone everyone dumps shit on the logies but everyone secretly loves it because it is an excuse to it. get together and have fun and like it's the one time that you actually get to party with people from other networks Yes. Because that was like, as a kid, it was Kate Ritchie and I at Channel 7 and that was it. And the Logies, a couple of times I went, was literally the only other time that I got to hang out with other kids because they were all from Melbourne on Neighbours. And then, you know, it was that was fun. Yeah, absolutely. I love the Logies. I'm a big fan of the Logies. Always loved the broadcast. 
Uh, I would love to see it come back, which it is, which is fantastic. Um, obviously, COVID's still the big issue. Hopefully, we're all vaccinated by then. But um, it's interesting, isn't it, Rod, that it's going to be non-ratings. Yeah, well, that's. I wonder if the audience will care then, because by that stage, have, hasn't like cricket started and summer sports coming and people are starting to go out? So by late November, will the audience care? Will they watch? The other thing about the, the Logies is, of course, with it being there, our reigning gold Logie king, Tom Gleeson, he's held that crown now for two and a half years. Go, Tom, I say. <laughs> He launched the pandemic just so he could have the Logie for a lot longer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, though, are they, you know, the networks are all talking about online and how important it is. Will there be an online television category? You know, could the Ange Robin Robbo show nominate itself for an award? <laughs> it's, it, it's interesting you mentioned that because the Emmys now have a category for eSport coverage. And, in fact, um, Matthew Bowden, who's son of Michael Bowden, an executive producer of many, many shows who I've worked with and on. It's his birthday today, coincidentally. Yeah, the, he won an Emmy for best coverage of an eSport tournament. Mm. Well, so so why, why, not, why not an online uh, award for best... Best online video show. Absolutely, absolutely. I was wondering, even if they're trying, like, paying to bring talent in, are they going to be, like, the Emmys where they let people Zoom in for a win or are they going to do, like, the Oscars where they're like, you must be here or else it's uh, they couldn't be here and we accept on their behalf? I think basically you would try and have everyone there but you might allow some Zoom. Yeah, well, on the Logies, I mean, I agree with everything Sarah said in terms of holding the Logies, but just what a ridiculous time of the year on the 28th of November. Where, where do they get that from? I mean, why not even September or why why that far at the end of the year? Normally when the Logies come, the quarter one, quarter two shows have just aired and it's kind of fresh and there's married at first sight people there and then they start previewing what's happening after the Logies. But it's just a ridiculous time of the year to have it right at the end of the year. But in terms of the online um, online categories, if they ever had that, I think the Angel and Robin, Robin Robbo show would definitely have a win for our best new talent <laughs> for Angeline. Hey, hey. <laughs> maybe, maybe the Logies are acknowledging nice. the fact that it is an industry event and only people in the industry care and it's during non-ratings because, frankly, the public really don't care. Yeah, it's still a big expense and it's still rated. It still rates pretty well. So, um, But this yeah, way I they can be like, oh, well, it wasn't rating season, so we don't know if it rated or not. Well, we do because we'll get the ratings <laughs> the following morning as always. But here is my thing to all the PRs and the network people and the Logies. You've got to open it up to online. You can't constantly talk about online and how great online is and what we're doing online and the numbers we're doing online unless you truly open it up. The Logies should reflect what's happening in the industry and that means online programming and that means also making it possible for people outside of the mainstream media to be able to be up for an award. And that could be peer-reviewed because networks have the bigger audiences, of course, but the fact is, and this sounds self-indulgent because I'm putting myself in for this, but I do honestly believe the Logies need to be more inclusive of other forms of media that are happening out there. Sorry, Arbrod. No, here, here. No, I, I agree. And, um, 
Yeah, just because you've, you've got a free-to-air license, why should you be the only one that are acknowledged as entertaining Australia? But yeah. the, the other thing I was wondering is why, what explanation have they given for that date? Like surely I haven't seen or read why that date. Does anyone know? No, there hasn't been a proper explanation and other networks have uh, apparently said, this was in The Australian on Monday, that they're not happy with the date. I think it's more to do with the Queensland government um, wanting us to be at a point where everyone's vaccinated. It's the next big Christmas push. They see it as a tourism opportunity. That's why it was moved to the middle of winter before. So if it's up there during, you know, the new push into Christmas and summer holidays, maybe that's the push to get people to come up to Queensland. Is that during spring break, like schoolies week? Yes. That'll be interesting. Won't it just? I can just see them all. I can just see the morning after the Logies where there's drunk celebrities down at the beach and they're amongst the schoolies. It's going to be cray-cray. All right, plenty still to come on this edition of TV Black Box, but first it's time for Hatchetson Dispatches with Sarah. Thanks, Rob. Deborah Mailman and Rachel Griffiths are reprising their award-winning roles on Season 2 of Total Control. The six-episode season will premiere on the ABC later this year as filming is already underway in Sydney, Canberra and Broken Hill. As of next month, veteran median mogul Bruce Gordon will have officially scored a seat on the board of Nine Entertainment Company. This comes following an affiliate deal with Wynn Corporation, owned by Gordon, and with Gordon long being Nine's largest shareholder. Fremantle has announced three new appointments to their creative development team. Warren Clark from Matchbox Pictures will be stepping into the role of Head of Development Scripted, Monique Keller from Audible will now become Development Executive Unscripted, and Nikki Tran will be joining as Development Assistant, a newly created role. BBC Studios Australia is looking to expand their team, searching for a head of production and operations. The company currently has three shows in production, including Dancing with the Stars, All Stars, and their newest appointment member will oversee a $20 million budget. That's something you could do, isn't it, Rob? Absolutely. Sky News Australia has launched its newly expanded Melbourne Bureau and Studios, now located within News Corp's South Bank headquarters. This comes following significant investment in the bureaus across the country, particularly with viewership in Melbourne up 54% year-on-year. And that is this week's Hatches and Dispatches. Thank you very much, Sarah. Coming up, we'll speak to Dan Ewing. You'll remember him from Home and Away, and he's making an inroads in Hollywood. We'll find out what he's been up to, and we'll open up the TV binge box to find out what everyone's been watching. You're listening to TV Black Box. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Well, he played one of the lovable bad boys of Summer Bay and since then Dan Ewing's star has been rising, on track to become yet another one of our big Aussie exports into Hollywood. In just a couple of weeks we'll be seeing him on Netflix alongside some other big names. I spoke to Dan Ewing on Monday's edition of the Ange, Rob and Robbo Show. 
Now, mate, I know you've got a very successful show on your hands, but I'm telling you, you could be my agent if you want. That was fantastic. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> Dan, I've got to say, I have become friends with you over social media, and I just love the kind of guy you are. You are very down to earth. You are very much uh, a people person. Uh, so obviously the, the stardom that you've experienced hasn't affected you yet. Mate, I'm just a Muppet from the Northern Beaches. Uh, I still kind of wake up and, and, and think, uh, am I, is this my job? Am I, do, I paid, do I get paid to, to shoot at aliens and to play rugby players and, and all this stuff? It's, uh, I, I, I'm still waiting to wake up from the dream, that's for sure. I don't just say that. I know it's a very cliche thing, actor thing to say, but it really is true. Well, Dan, Heath Braxton was such a beloved character on Home and Away. Everyone loved the River Boys. I mean, they were written about in the tabloids all the time, in, in magazines, TV Week. And you even revived the role a few times, most recently just this year. I've got to ask, though, what was the decision like to leave such a popular show? I'm so glad you say, and a big shout-out to everybody who likes to say g'day or um, take photos of me while I'm eating salt and pepper calamari. I still don't know how to make that look good. Um, it was like any job, I think. Um, first and foremost, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Um, I think they do an amazing job that show and i don't know if a lot of the uh, the thespians that come off there really feel it until you leave um i digress though uh, to, to leave that show i obviously like i'm, I'm an ambitious young man but I, I i've got a never say never attitude about that show if the i'm a, I'm a stickler for good narrative and good story i'm not just going to go back there for a ratings boost and it's simple as that if the story is there Heath Braxton will be there, that's for sure. Oh, that's really interesting, mate, because you achieved a lot of success through Home and Away, including nominations for multiple Logies and Actor Awards. Was it a challenge to break away from that role and really have people see you as your own person rather than an actor on that show? I, Rob, that is such a great question, mate. Um, I mean, obviously people call you by your character name in like the supermarket sometimes. I don't think that's just because people think I am Heath. I'm, I'm sure some people do, and that's okay. We love all, all types. Um, I... Um, I, I made a conscious decision to, to break out in a way that is a little bit different to what a lot of actors would do. I went and did a role that might not have been what people would associate with me. It was a short film called Factory Hands. I portrayed mm. American photographer Lewis Hine. Now, in real life, he was a lot smaller than me. He spoke with a really fantastic Midwestern accent. But it was just an opportunity to get rid of the bodies, you know, and just to sort of, like, Heath will always be a part of me. Um, we're similar in some ways, very dissimilar in others. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just, I, 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 I pretty much picked the opposite end of the spectrum and just put, went head first into that. Great question. <laughs> well, Great I'm question. glad you approve of the questions. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you were on Dancing with the Stars in 2021, in 2011, sorry, and it, it is back. Were you approached for this all-star version special? And if not, why not? And would you have said yes? <laughs> Do you know how I said the last question was good, Rob? I, I've been thinking, I mean, like, Channel 7, I, I, I love them. But what a pack of, like, to not call me <gasps> the, best da the best dancer they've ever had on that show? <laughs> 
Let's have, have a look at some of that dancing. Here you are. Please don't roll. That for me was a big part of my life because it was, it was, a, it, was I, it really was. Oh, 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 sorry. I'm trying to look at you, Rob, but oh, oh, that, that skill. <laughs> my goodness. Uh, no, look, it was because I, I had like sort of two left feet uh, on anything that wasn't the basketball court. I certainly couldn't hear music and it just gave me a newfound respect for, for, for uh, uh, dancers, for for musicians, for performing artists on that on that other side, it was an absolutely fantastic experience. But no, they did not call me Rob. They better. They didn't even sign into my DMs. You know, come on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll talk to Angus Ross, the head of programming at Seven, about it. Um, maybe you can be a wild card, even though I think they've pretty much already shot it. But anyway, you never know. <laughs> well, look, you were also recently in Occupation Rainfall, and I'm really intrigued by this. Uh, you played the role of Simmons. We spoke to Luke Spark, the director, at the beginning of the year and talked to him about the difference between filmmaking in Australia and the US. Do you feel like that gap is changing? Because this production was like nothing I've ever seen in Australia. It was more ambitious and big picture. Is that starting to happen with Australian productions? Give Luke Spark a Star Wars movie. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yes. and, um, I think what people need to realise about that film was it was 25 million Australian. And what's that in the with the current exchange rate? Say 17 uh, uh, US. So I just think what he accomplished in that movie, when I say he's a visionary, it's, it's I, I'm not kidding at all. Um, I think it's quite interesting. It can be a double-edged sword. And not, not a lot of actors will say this. With all the, the big uh, production companies and studios that are coming here, it's fantastic. It's is absolutely fantastic, especially for for crews and the economy. On an acting standpoint, it's not like they're offering you a lot of American money a lot of the time. So on that side of the coin, there is that that thing where it's like, yeah, but it's there are considerations to be made. And don't get me wrong, working on those sorts of things is fantastic, but you do have to consider that as an actor. You know what I mean? And I, yeah. I know that. Might yeah, taboo thing. Not a lot of actors will talk about it, but there is that thing where they still want to get you for those local rates, and it's about understanding your value and and uh, and holding that value if you think that you're at that level. Oh, good on you. I like that. Um, look, your most recent project, Love and Monsters, is coming to Netflix in just a couple of weeks, and it has a pretty huge international cast, including Dylan O'Brien, Jessica Henwick, and Michael Rooker. Is working on those big budget international films where you see your career headed, and I, for one, certainly hope it will be. Well, first of all, thank you so much for the the compliment. Yeah, it's oh mate, it, it's it's so fun. It is really fun. Look, and obviously, you know, we love what we do in Australian film, and I think what Australian films and and um, and what television is trying to push more in towards is, um, is is that sort of neck of the woods. But we're so good at character work, I think, because we have less money for the explosions and the the monsters in this sort of thing. Um, but it's a, it's a it's a really exciting time working with those guys, working with the bigger toys. And and, this, and actors that you've watched on these huge Marvel movies, etc. Um, well, I can't say a lot, but it is certainly where my career is headed. Really, Yeah, and look, the movie was meant to have a theatrical release, but because of COVID, we'll be going straight to Netflix instead. Is that disappointing as an actor, or do you see it as an opportunity for more people to be able to view your work? You know, uh, how many people, 100 million or something, 200 million are watching Netflix mm. now? It is one of the biggest platforms you can possibly be on. Mm. 
Well, when things like that happen, I like to sort of, I like to be educated. So 21 Laps is behind this film. So 21 Laps is a huge production company run by Sean Levy. Um, Stranger Things is a quite an iconic program of theirs, program, show. Just a little one. Um, <laughs> so with Love and Monsters, they were quite tactical and, and, and what they did was very interesting. So Paramount released it in the US to VOD. So for everybody at home, that's video on demand. So it's a $25 US ticket. So you could almost pay that per person to, going to a cinema yeah. so they had a big release over there and then i think internationally they've gone down this path of of netflix but you see what's happening with with warner brothers and hbo and all that sort of stuff so it really is not to use a, a popular term a, a fluid situation um, but i think paramount did extremely well with it and i'm very i can't lie i'm very excited to see uh to for my friends family everybody here to see love and monsters it's, it's great fun it knows what it is uh it's a very very fun movie I can't wait to see it. I'm genuinely excited. And, mate, I've got to say, congratulations on all your success. I really love success stories, and you deserve all the success. You've been very supportive of uh, this show and TV Black Box, and I really do appreciate it, mate. You are a true gentleman. Mate, thank you so much. And simple as this, I don't just support anybody. I really love programs that maybe, that I won't say disruptive, but who aren't afraid to, to talk about things or have conversations that maybe aren't exactly on the network trajectory. And that's not yeah. to to pull down networks because they have a great job. Uh, they do a great job and they service a particular market. But oh, I don't really? see the Australian market advancing without people like you and what you guys do on Black Box. So that's why I put my spot behind it. Oh, mate, thank you very much. Well, you can check out Dan Ewing in Love and Monsters on Netflix on April 14th. Dan, I cannot wait to see what you do next. Genuinely, thank you for coming on the Andrew and Robbo Show. Thanks, mate. Talk to you soon. What a bloody good bloke. Okay, now it's time to open up the TV binge box. Rod, what have you been watching? Well... Uh... I'm no monarchist, but as I've bored you several times, said I've, I've been watching a lot of the old episodes of The Crown. In the wake of that, I watched a great doco on Netflix the other night, uh, Elizabeth and Margaret, Love and Loyalty, a real sort of good insight into the dynamics between Elizabeth and Margaret. And it's you know, fascinating watching the you know, people with that much power and privilege, how they, they related to each other. And the other thing last night I watched, it was great. I've, I've got my 90-year-old father-in-law here who's German-born, Watched, uh, rewatched it. We've seen it several times. We were Ladies in Black, the Bruce Beresford film, which is a very nostalgic love letter to Sydney and the era of the, the you know, David Jones ladies and whatever. So he, mm. it was great to watch that with a 90 year old refo, as they've referred to in that. So <laughs> great, great Australian film. Highly recommend it. Oh, brilliant. What about you, Aaron? Well, I also get $1,000 every time I, I mention this. So I, of course, have been watching the And Rob and Robbo show every Monday to Thursday Yay. at 9pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. But aside from that, um, so I finally got to the uh, final episode of The End. was full of nudity and surprises, of course. But when I think of the show holistically, um, what an absolute gem this show was. There were some out there moments, but the show dealt with death, suicide, family breakdown, sexuality, complicated relationships, depression, impulse control, joy, love, everything. Very special series and would recommend anyone to watch the entire 10-episode season. I gave The Amazing Race um, a bit of a... Not amazing. The Amazing Grace, sorry, a bit of a hard time. The new drama on Nine. Last week's episode and the one airing this Wednesday, the 31st of March, is actually really good. The show really does pick up. However, the people that have tuned in 
and found the first couple of episodes boring may have now been lost, which is a real shame. It's not the greatest of shows, but it's really picking up steam. Um, I mean, there is one positive outcome, you know, from sticking with shows. Sometimes they get better like Amazing Grace and sometimes they don't like Ultimate Tag, which is... Uh, Viewers don't, though. Yeah, un- unfortunately, and... Um, at least Ultimate Tag's finishing up this Sunday. I persisted with the cube. It, it's just slow, and everyone that gets to that top amount are always too scared to risk, you know, the fifty thousand that they've already got or the hundred thousand. So that no one's ever going for the for the top amount, even if they've got like five or six lifelines. So it's kind of losing it. Yeah, it's kind of ruining it. It's not very exciting at all. Um, and last one, a great series on Foxtel called A Teacher. It's one of those teachers student sort of affair type shows I, I want episode two where they've almost kissed but uh, it's one of those type of shows but it's uh, not bad okay well I can tell you I've been watching Married at First Sight and if you want a master class in manipulation oh my god just watch Bryce on that show he decided that he was going to turn Rebecca into the villain accused her of bullying used his wife as a defence shield and played her off as the victim. This was absolutely amazing. And I've got to say, it's funny, I, I've worked with Bryce a few times. I've done radio crosses with him and everything. But it's interesting to know, I'd be interested to know what his gameplay is here because he's certainly playing a game and I'd be interested to know whether he's decided to make himself the villain here in order to get airtime how he's trying to change the narrative of that and where he goes to from here. Yeah, I'd actually really like to have a chat with him because I think it's absolutely fascinating. But there's no doubt there was complete manipulation happening. Um, I've also been watching Superman and Lois, which I just think is a fabulous show. The one on Netflix. You know, I'm I'm not a big drama person, but sometimes there are dramas that just really get me and the one on Netflix, which is a UK production, is just one of those shows. It's really gripping and very interesting. But I had a bit of sadness this week. My favourite show, Superstore, the comedy series from NBC, has come to an end. It ended in a two-part finale. And it was really good. It was really well done. It was exactly what it should be. Uh, And I just thought it was brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. I I loved it. So goodbye, Superstore. I only got to know you this year, but boy, did I binge out on you and got through six seasons in a very short amount of time. Uh, But I think it was a brilliant, brilliant piece of television. Sarah, what have you been watching? Well, before Nine got hacked... um because they're geo-blocked and I can't watch Nine now, I can actually watch the media room stuff. So I actually got to preview some of the episodes of um, Amazing Grace. And it was surprising because my husband, we watched like four episodes the first night and the next day he asked if we would be enjoying more episodes of this show. Um, And I was very surprised since it's about a midwife and I thought that he would hate it, but he actually liked it. Um, So we saw the first seven episodes and it was actually really good. And then I was going to watch more stuff. But, um, you know, hack. So that was it. Well, fair, yes, fair enough. Hopefully that can be sorted soon. We're all missing our nine media room. All right, that brings us to the end of another edition of TV Black Box. Don't forget, for more insights and exclusives, go to tvblackbox.com.au. Don't forget to watch the Ange Robin Robber Show, and you can do that by going to facebook.com slash 
The ARR Show. Really simple, The ARR Show. Hope to see you there, 9 o'clock each night. And a little programming note, we are taking a two-week break, so we will see you in two weeks for another edition of the TV Black Box. Sarah, Rod and Aaron, thanks for your time. We'll see you next week. Thank see you. you next week. Bye. Bye. And a message to programmers, bring back variety. <laughs> <laughs> 